you know, I, th I think we know this, but just listening to all that again, I hope we understand that the reason that we're here seeking Christ is because we need something better than what this world has for us. The, the greatest thing we have is not a prayer to see someone healed, even though we should because we love people and we don't want to see them go through that. But even if they're healed, they're going to die again. They're going to come back with something else that's going to take their life at some point. So we need to go to the ultimate, the ultimate greatest good for everybody, our loved ones, our brothers, our sisters, our parents, our kids, which is Christ, that they may have an eternity with God when this one ends. Because this one will end. Poor Lazarus had to die twice. That stinks, man. You know what I mean? Like, this, remember the sisters were weeping? And they're like, well, if you were just have got here sooner, like everything would be fine. And of course, we know that Jesus stalled on purpose, you know what I mean, to do a deal, to, to teach a lesson. And, and, he show, and so poor Lazarus, he had, to, he had to die, but then they got their wish. And he was raised. And then he died again. Right? Jesus is the difference, and this is what he tells the sister that day. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? This is what he asks her. That was the lesson, and that's the lesson for us. The greatest thing we could possibly hope for for anybody that we love in this world is that they know Christ. Because even though they die, they will live. They will live. That's what we want. That's what we truly want. All right, let's go. I know you got your Bibles, cuz. Nobody? You're in church. Because you're in church. This is what we do. If we don't camp around this and, and stick our brains and our hearts onto this, I don't know what we're doing here. Like, this is, it's time to eat, right? Matthew 18, you're not getting the traditional Christmas service or, uh, sermon today. You're going to, you'll get that next week. It'll come next week. You'll, it'll be a, a Christmas uh, service and a sermon, and I'm just going to keep plowing through Matthew. We kind of feel like we've had our momentum going with this, and ju we just didn't want to break it. So uh, Matthew 18, uh, the end of 18. We're closing out 18 today, uh, verses 21 to the end, all right, which says this. Uh, then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, which is actually in context 70 times seven. Some of your Bibles will actually say that, but 23. Therefore, Jesus continues, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife and his children and all that he had, and for payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him. Sorry. <laughs> Saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. 
But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you of, the, of all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should, be, uh, should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Um, what a jerk. You know what I mean? Like when you read this, it's hard to like, not look at this dude and be like, what a jerk. And then we all start to realize, oh, wait, that's me. And then <laughs> we'll get there, right? All right. Um, let me recap real quick, because again, this is a run-on of what Chad preached on last week. It's not, it's a new section, maybe, its own paragraph with a space between it and your Bible, but in this conversation with Jesus and his disciples, this is a running conversation, all right? There was not a week between Sundays when he said these things, like you guys are getting. And if you remember from last week, what that subject was, is it was a teaching from Jesus concerning basically what we would call church discipline, right? Uh, it's that bad phrase uh, that we all hate, um, which, which we learned from Jesus is for the goal of uh, not condemning, right? But the goal of correcting a broken relationship, restoring a broken relationship, redeeming a broken relationship. That's the point, of church discipline. That's what Jesus taught us back there. Um, and so uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is like, hey, if your brother sins against you, there's steps that you can take towards reconciliation. That's the point. We want to reconcile those relationships that are broken. There's, there's, there's steps you can take to restore it and repair it. And then here's Peter, and all he can think about is like, to what, ex- to what extent do I need to try to restore it? Like, like that's really what we have here happening. Right? Like, like, when can I stop trying to repair broken relationships? Is, uh, I'm so much like, I hate to admit it, but like part of the reason I love this dude is because he says the things that we think. <laughs> you know what I mean? He just comes out and is like, okay, I, I want to know the answer to this. He's, he's, it's kind of like, uh, what was that movie, Liar, Liar? He can't help but to like be honest um, when, when, he, when he speaks, right? And, uh, and this is kind of what he's, what he's doing. This, and and, and this, is, this is the culture that we find ourselves living in today. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's nothing new, right? Um, like if someone does you wrong, you do them wrong back, right? You, you pay back. It's kind of the culture that we find ourselves living in. We live, we live in a culture of easy offenses and quick, quick cancels. We cancel people fast, Right? Um, and, and because of that, what Jesus is about to say next is radical. It's a little bit crazy. Verse 21, right? If your brother sins against you, or I'm sorry, that's not 21. 21, Peter comes then to Jesus and says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, right? So again, Peter comes through with the entertainment for us again, and he does it by asking the question, like, where's the finish line? Right, where, like where where can we stop forgiving uh, uh, as far as offen- the offenses of others towards us? So he's putting out a feeler to see where the line actually is. 
okay? Um, like, when can I stop forgiving this person? Um, and, and, and so he's looking for the line, but at the same time, he's trying to sound, appear spiritual as he does it because he answers his own question immediately. So he asks the question, and then he gives the answer before anyone else can say something, uh, which is kind of a look at me type of thing. He says seven times, Lord, right? Um, and so he, he's, the reason he's appearing spiritual in doing this is because the number seven is actually generous as far as scriptures go. Um, the rabbis in the Old Testament, when it comes to forgiveness and how many times you forgive your offender, previously it was established three. If you, if you can forgive that offender three times, you're, you're doing good, and that's really all that's expected of you. Then you're good after that, right? So that's the established number that these guys would know about forgiving an offender would be, would be three. So Peter's like doubling that which was previously taught and then like adding one more for good measure. You know what I mean? Like he's just, he's, he's like, oh, what a good-hearted guy Peter is. You know what I mean? And I can only imagine like his posture as he's, you know, as this is all going down, you know what I mean? Like, how many times should I forgive my brother? Like, seven? You know what I mean? Like, like just kind of like, I would, you know? Good old Peter. Um, and, of course, Jesus responds to this by saying, verse 22, uh, actually, like, no, no, Peter, not seven times, but, uh, like, 70 times, or which is actually, like, seven times 70. Now, some of you right now are probably doing the arithmetic in your heads uh, because you want to know where the line is, too. Uh, I did. Uh, yeah, like, like, when can I stop? Some of you are married, you know what I mean? And so we kind of want to know, you know, when, when we're justified uh, to respond the way that we want to. You know, when can I stop? And, and so we're like, okay, 70 times uh, 7 is like 490, and so like, we, like 490 is the number, you know? And I could totally see my... <laughs> Never mind. Um, I'm, uh, I'm up there. I, I might have I passed this a long time ago. Um, but point is, I don't care who you are. If somebody is going to blow it against you like anywhere close to 490 times, you're simply going to lose count, right? Like you're, you're just not going to be able to keep, keep track of it. Like if, you, if you're dealing with a serial offender, which anyone who's in a relationship is going to, if it's a significant one, it, you know, on any level, you're not going to care what number you're up to. You're, you're just going to be over it. There's just a point where you're just over it. You're sick of being hurt. You're sick of lines being crossed. You're sick of betrayal. You know what I mean? You're sick of, of the pain and the letdown, right? Unless, of course, we're all spiritual like we are in this room because we know that love keeps no record of wrongs, which is what we do, right? All right. No takers. <laughs> uh, no, no, G- Jesus is like, Peter, like this is, this is what he's saying. Like, you just keep forgiving. It has nothing to do with the number. You just, it's infinite, Peter. It's, it's infinite. So we can, take, we can take whatever number we come up with, and, and, and it's like, just keep going. Just keep going. In other words, the amount of times that we forgive is not what's significant but that we continue to forgive is what's significant. This is what's being taught here. That forgiveness reigns in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships. That it triumphs in our lives, in our relationships. That it prevails is the point. 
for the Christian, for the follower, the disciple of Jesus. And then, of course, in true Jesus fashion, the story follows. And we get a story, right? 23 and 24. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talent. So, so again, here we go. Whenever we go into a parable, especially in the book of Matthew from Jesus, what's the greatest subject again? What's the biggest subject Jesus ever taught on? Starts with a K. The kingdom. The kingdom. Everything had to do with Jesus's teachings underneath the banner of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And I know some people will debate this, but they're used interchangeably. Okay. And what the kingdom is, is it's that place and those things anywhere at any time that God reigns over and rules over. So is the kingdom now or is the kingdom to come? Answer, yes. Yes. God is reigning right now in a very specific way and he's going to reign ultimately forever then in a very specific way, all the while being God, all the while having a, a standard and a bar for righteousness and right living and right relationship, right? And so this is what Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like. This is how he starts once again, right? So this dude in the story owes 10,000 talents. Now, I'm not a mathematician. I'm horrible at math, actually. But in my research, and my estimations of my research, this would be the equivalent of millions, millions of dollars in today's economy, right? So it's a ridiculous number. Like, it's a, it's a huge number. To give you an idea of how big this number would have been then, at the time, I read somewhere that the entire revenue for the entire year, for the entire region of Galilee, at that time, was 300 talents. This dude owes 10,000. Okay? So this number's huge. <laughs> it's absolutely uh, ridiculous. This, this 10,000 uh, talent number that Jesus is throwing out in his story probably sounded pretty ridiculous, like as far as in, in, an inflated number, to his disciples hearing this, uh, this story. But was it? Really? And we'll get to that when it comes down to what we're talking about. All right, we're going to come back to this. 25 through 27. Uh, Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children, and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Let's do 27 too. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. So like us, isn't it? So like us. This is so like me in my life. Um, this is exactly what I would do, what I could picture myself doing is if I was in this guy's position. Like, not even really considering, like, the impossibility of it. It would just be automatically like, look, I'll get, I'll, I'll get you everything. You know what I mean? I'll, I'd be scrambling. Um, but more than that, you and I have this thing, this need to earn and this need to merit and this need to deserve and this need to pay things back, and this need to make things right. E- even in circumstances where we're clearly in over our heads, uh, in the actual ability to earn and to merit and to deserve. 
And this is called pride. And uh, it's not the good kind of pride, but it's the kind that, that actually kills us while it makes us think that we're fixing something, right? And this is what this guy has here. Nevertheless, praise God, the master allows this dude to walk, right? And he goes free that day, a free man, free and clear. So let's see what kind of effect this had on this guy's life, right? 28 through 30. But when that servant, that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to uh, choke him, (laughs) saying, uh, pay me what you owe me. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And, and he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should um, pay it back. So this act of mercy that this guy just had recently received from his master didn't seem to have much of a life-changing impact um, on him at this point. Um, I mean, homie choked the guy. You know what I mean? He didn't just find him and was like, dude, like, where's my money? You know what I mean? Like, I could really use it right now. You know what I mean? It wasn't just concern like he just chokes the guy. Um, I just think it's funny that Jesus actually added that into the story. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This guy's got this full-on, like, violent rage, right? He's just been forgiven millions, free and clear, and he comes across the dude who owes him basically 100 days' pay, okay? 100 denarii would have been, you would have got at that time basically a denarii a day if you were an agricultural worker in the field. That's basically the standard of what you would have made for a day. So this is like 100 days, you know, it's like three months worth of pay, right? And, 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 he, and he chokes him. Now, I can't help but to think that if you've just been forgiven millions of dollars, that you would be running around like Jimmy Stewart at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. You know what I'm saying? Like hugging people. And singing and laughing. Like, because, because you just came from a place, a reality, where you have nothing and you've lost everything. And then you get it all back. And so you have this new lease on the way that you look at things, on the way that you look at life, on the way that you look at others. Just like Jimmy at the end of that movie. But this dude doesn't, he actually has the opposite. He has the opposite kind of fruit that's coming out of his his heart, right? Usually, being forgiven of a debt results in a crucifying of any kind of pride, any kind of entitlement, and any kind of anger towards your brother. But this guy's quick to crucify this other dude. So he does the exact opposite of that, which was just done to him, but on a much smaller scale, right? And his cry is, give me what you owe me. Give me what you owe me. Imagine if God says these words to you when you see him. Right? And of course, we're going to come back to this. Like, upon seeing God face to face at the end of my life, if he greeted me with, give me what you owe me, I I can't even bear that thought. That is devastating, right? This guy ends up locking up this poor dude until he pays up and by the, like, I have no idea how you make money in prison. Well, I kind of I do a little bit, but it's not a lot. <laughs> it's not much. You know, it's not a great way if you actually want your money back to deal with somebody who owes you money. But, you know, whatever. Um, 
And uh, it's at this point that I think that you and I kind of want to see this dude get his comeuppance. You know what I mean? Um, that was the old phrase that my grandma used to use on me when we go to play cards. She would just look across the room at me and be like, you want your comeuppance? <laughs> and uh, that meant that she was going to um, kick my booty at a card game, right? And uh, I, I kind of want to see this guy get it here right now, um, his comeuppance. And he does, of course, but first uh, verses 31 uh, through 34, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and they reported to their master all that had taken uh, place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should you not have forgiven your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay. All his debt. So apparently, in this parable, not only did this guy nearly choke this, this, this debtor out, but he did it openly. He did it in public. He did it in front of everybody so that everybody else can see, which that's kind of dirty. That stinks. Because when his fellow servants witnessed what occurred, they were like, oh, heck no. Like, we know what just happened. Like, no. Right? It was, so, it was so ugly to them that they ran back to tell the master, and of course, the master wasn't having it either when he heard what happened, all right? And basically says to him, how wicked can you possibly be? Like, what were you thinking, right? You pleaded, I had mercy. He pleaded, you didn't. What's wrong with this picture, right? And so the conclusion of the master is kind of like, now you're going you're gonna to feel what this guy felt. Right? And he locks him up, which brings us then to the conclusion of the story, which is in verse 35. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother, as if that's not bad enough, you ready? From your heart. From your heart. How does that sound to you? Are we all, we've all done this, of course, right? I mean, we're Christians after all. We follow God. God is our master, right? All right. Um, I, I, I'm kind of like, yeah, that sounds really good when it comes to this guy in the story. <laughs> but like when it comes to me, it doesn't sound so good anymore. <laughs> it's like, no, nah, I'd, I'd rather not, you know, thank you. Um, like this guy got absolutely what he deserved, but I don't want to deserve that. I don't want to earn that. Right, and we shall, of course, return to this. So let's, let's go ahead and now zoom out and um, see if we can't pick up a couple theological um, nuggets in here, okay? Some things that we should walk away with. Number one, uh, this guy owns a debt, owes a debt that he can't pay back. That's, the, like, that's just the starting point. This dude owes an amount of money that's an impossibility for him to pay back. Not just numerically, not just size-wise, but also practically, there's no way that he can pay it back. Because this man, according to the story, according to Jesus here, is not a free man. This guy is a slave. He's not free, right? He's dealing with his master. He's dealing with his owner. And so the only option the master has at recovering anything at all is to sell this guy off, along with his wife and kids, and possessions, and call it good, right? 
In, in other words, this guy, as confident as he may be and sincere as he may have been in paying back the master, is in absolutely zero position to. Zero position to. Slaves did not get rich. They did not prosper. They did not build financial portfolios. They didn't invest. They didn't have startup businesses that would become successful. They were owned. They were poor. They're by nature, you ready? In bondage. In bondage. So not only was this guy in over his head with what he owed, he didn't even have the potential the option of making good on any of it because he had no potential to generate any revenue. None. He was owned in bondage, and that's us. Which brings us to the next part of that here, the need to pay back. The stupid thing that you and I have, which is a need to pay back and earn something very generous that's been done on our behalf. Even if we know we can't generate the currency for it, we have this need to pay back. This is exactly what we revert to in our initial response to hardship, especially. We have, like this guy, a pretty high estimation of ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like spiritually speaking. I don't know about you. Like I understand the doctrine of depravity, but I don't start there in my relationship with God every day. I start with this. I'll pay it back. I'll make good on it. You know what that is? It's an insult to the generosity of God on the cross of Christ. Right? I'll pay it back. You and I spiritually are in complete bondage. We are in over our heads spiritually with sin and rebellion and corruption. But our first thought and our first intention is I'll pay it back. I promise. Right? I promise. Remember what Isaiah says? Just in case you don't know, your righteousness is as a filthy rag. And the filthy rag is something we won't speak of. And we hold that thing up, we pull this thing out in times of need, in times of debt, when we're in the hole. And we hold this filthy rag up and we say, here you go. That's our best. You know what I mean? It's kind of what this dude's doing. I'll pay it back. I promise I'll make it good. I'll make it right. And, and so the question is, with what? With what? Right? We're, we're bankrupt. You and I are morally, spiritually bankrupt. Unable to generate that kind of capital for God. I don't know how many times I've told him I'll never do that again. I don't know how many times I do this. I'll never do that again. I'll, I'll never think that thought again. I'll never speak that way again. Right? Just to find myself doing it back before the master. Just loop right around and go, I'll fix it. <laughs> I'll fix it. Right? And I can't fix it. I can't fix it. It's, it's, it's our lack of ability to produce a debt-free relationship with God in the first place that got us into this mess to begin with, okay? Just like with this guy, and yet we say, give me another chance, I'll fix it. Well, you know what? God knows better, doesn't he? 
He's not fooled. He knows better. And so we say, I'll pay it back, and he says to himself, no, you won't. No, you won't. Which brings us to the next important nugget that we see here. This man's debt forgiveness came through compassion, pity, some of your translations will say, not payback, compassion. It was the compassion of the master that got this dude off the hook that way, that day. Nothing else, nothing else. Um, My version says pity, it's the same thing. Pity is to have compassion on somebody. It's the exact same thing. The master told the guy how much he owed, and then he himself ate it. Why? Compassion. Compassion. This means forgiveness, release, and freedom to walk as if nothing ever happened was due to the master's compassion plus nothing else. This is the part that trips people up when it comes to the gospel, isn't it? It doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem possible, it doesn't seem fair that something so bad, that such a big debt accumulation would be forgiven for free. It makes no sense to us that the debt forgiveness of God is actually free, is a stumbling block to somebody who says, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. This is the foolishness of the gospel to so many, but this is the reality and nature of the gospel. That's why we call it, it's called good news for a reason. You know why? Free. No strings attached. The way, the way that he's able to pay off that debt um, is, is perfect. There's, there's nothing left undone. There's nothing left undone. It's a free gift of God, not of works. What's that verse? What's, how's the rest of it go? So that no one may boast. Right? Ephesians 2. Hey, like when we get to eternity, people, by the grace of God, there's only going to be The Trinity is going to be the only one boasting. The only one. And this is the point where we say, well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Because there's a conclusion here. Right? What about Jesus' conclusion? What about the rest of the story? Clearly the master's compassion toward debt forgiveness is conditional. Conditional. The caveat being that we must first forgive the same way that God forgives or we forfeit it, right? His forgiveness is contingent, it seems, it looks like, on our ability to perform the same thing the same way. From the heart, no less. That's that's the kicker, right? Which means sincerely, perfectly, finally. That's what the heart means, right? This is absolutely, brutally true, according to the law. You're like, here he goes again. He's going to parse this out. I am. This is true according to the law. But praise God, not the gospel. Not the gospel. See, this is why we need to make sure that you and I are not under the law. The law kills. The gospel gives life. If we're under the law, you better make sure that you are going out and you are doing everything exactly according to righteousness and no less, or you're going to pay for it. 
That's what the law says. That's what the law does. This is why we need to make sure that we are not under the law or any form of moralism in our salvation. Because if we are, we're in serious trouble. We will not be able to keep our end of the deal. I promise you we will not. This is why Jesus, the gospel, came so that we may be relieved from having to keep a law that we couldn't keep by our own strength, and we could now be brought to God through the one who was, ready, able to keep it. Jesus was able to keep it. Listen to Galatians 4.4. You ready? When the fullness of time had come, it's like Christmas time we're talking about. It's perfect. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, ready, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that means to relieve them, to pull them out from underneath of it, so that we might receive adoption as sons. He, he, he pulled us out from under the law so that we could actually have a relationship with God. Because as long as we were stuck under it, we're busted. Every time. Right? This is Christmas. This is why Jesus, Jesus didn't come to lay in a manger and look cute so that we can sing the Christmas songs. He came to redeem people like you and I out from under the law. That's why that baby was born that day. To redeem us out from underneath a debt that had us buried. We are no longer under the law. Right? See, the law places us in the pay-it-all-back plan. Let's put it this way. The law puts us in the pay-it-all-back plan. The gospel puts us in the paid-in-full plan. That's the difference. I'd rather have the second insurance plan. I really would. I have tried and tried and tried to do the first one. And so has everybody else. And you know what the Bible still says? None are righteous, no, not one. No one has ever been able to pull it off, except for the one who came to redeem us out from under the law. In fact, that's how we got redeemed out from underneath the law, is that he was able to perfectly fulfill it on our behalf. And then through compassion, impute that to us. This is gospel. That's gospel. Okay? One kills, one saves. The law kills, the gospel saves. One condemns, one redeems, one binds and keeps us bound, just like this slave, and one frees. Okay? Based on what? Based on the master's compassion towards those he pardons. Again, the gospel doesn't say he loves me, he loves me not. The law does. That's how I know he's, he's giving us law here. By his conclusion. Having said that, forgiveness is one of the greatest, strongest, most powerful evidences and testimonies that the child of God can possibly possess and walk in well. It's one of our greatest testimonies of who we belong to and what we've experienced is our ability to walk in forgiveness towards others, no matter how bad that offense was, no matter how heavy it was, and no matter how many times it's gone down. This is the greatest testimony that we have of who we belong to and why. There's a gazillion scriptures in our New Testament writings to believers, to the church, those under the gospel, not the law, concerning the importance of, of forgiveness in our daily lives towards each other and even towards our enemies. And it's due to the fact that this is the foundation of our spiritual moral freedom that we enjoy, forgiveness. This is why we're here. 
And though I fully believe one of the sins that Jesus hung on the cross for on our behalf was our inability to perfectly forgive, forgiveness should be something Christians ought to be better at doing than anybody else in this world. You and I should be experts at this, right? The gospel gives us as believers every reason to forgive and zero reasons to not forgive due to what Jesus did for us, due to what Jesus did to us at the expense of his own body and blood. If we, the believer, do not forgive or even care if we forgive people or not, there's a good chance that we do not know the gospel of Christ. I'm just going to say a couple heavy things real quick. All right? There is a good chance, if we don't care or even think about forgiving people, that we have never experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a good chance that we do not know the person of Jesus if we can care less about forgiving others. The gospel is not a passive idea. It's not a passive thought. It's not a passive concept. It is faith that results in works and change and transformation. In other words, the gospel is free and it's by faith alone plus nothing. But if you've really been born again through faith, there is transformation that will start to happen in you, period. That doesn't mean overnight. It doesn't mean that you forgive perfectly. But the gospel of Christ, the saving work of Christ that he brought us, isn't empty. It's full. It's fully loaded. Okay? So Christ didn't just take our sins from us on the cross. He actually imparted to us good works and righteousness, which means also a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And part of a, a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness is the need to have mercy on the people around us that wrong us every day. That's the essence of what you and I enjoy. It's everything. This is the gospel. This is why James can go on and say, and it doesn't contradict anything that Paul says, faith without works is dead. Because it's not empty. The gospel is not empty. It is free. And it's all him and none of us. But what he gives us when he rebirths us is something. New desires. All right. All right, two things before we close. We're closing. A couple things real quick. Forgive and forget sounds nifty and nice, but the forget part is not possible. Unless you're a superhuman. Come and share it with me sometime. Okay? Forgive and forget sounds nice, but the forget part is not super realistic. Um, so let me go back to the number real quick to explain this, this ridiculous number, 70 times 7, which is 490, which sounds extremely inflated, um, unless, um, unless uh, our memory, our memory is our biggest enemy in the ongoing pursuit of finalizing forgiveness towards others. Right? Because when our brain recalls an offense, I don't know about yours, but here's what mine does. When mine recalls, even something that happened 25 years ago or 35 years ago that I haven't thought about in years, when it recalls that all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the betrayal and all of the anger and all of the bitterness all floods back again. It is all there again. Right? And, and, and there we are needing 
to forgive something once again that we thought we were over. So does 490 even sound that much when this is the case? Because you and I don't have good forgetters when it comes to things like this. There is one event done by one person years and years ago that I have had to forgive many, many, many times over throughout my life because I continue to think about it. And all that stuff comes back. Therefore, we must, because this is true, do business in forgiveness every day. Forgiveness should not be an event. It should not be a thing that we do when we come to the communion table. Right? We don't wait for that. Forgiveness is something just as we breathe. Just as we thank God for things in prayer every single day, including our food. It should be daily maintenance that you and I are examining ourselves and we're cleaning the slate. We're taking care of business. Okay? Inside of us. It matters. It needs, we need to have a lifestyle of forgiveness in our lives. Right? Um, listen to, I mean, look at what Jesus taught us, right? How to pray. Give us this day. This, this thing that we do daily, so we're probably going to be like, ask, like saying this to God. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Just like we pray for our food every day and thank God for what we have, we should be cleaning the slate. We should be examining ourselves and handling business with our hearts when it comes to forgiving others. It's that serious, and it should be that much of a maintenance step. We must examine ourselves daily. We must keep short accounts. We must not let the sun go down on our anger and bitterness and resentment. Or or it will set out to undo all that Christ has set out to do in us. It's like a cancer. All right. Last thing. The greatest answer, solution, remedy for an unforgiving heart that you and I possibly have when we find that we have an unforgiving heart, even as believers, is a fresh visit to the cross. It's a fresh visit to the cross, right? A fresh and current survey of that place where our master let us walk free, where he let us walk clean, new, forgiven, that place where our bills were paid, right? Where our debt was relieved. Where our Savior prayed for us, Father, forgive them. Forgive David. For he knows not what he does. That place where our shameful, pitiable condition was clothed by his compassion. Where our rap sheet was nailed to a cross. Right? Oh, I love, I love Colossians uh, 2. You, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Here it is, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross, right? In so doing, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to an open shame. By triumphing over him. You know who that is? Your greatest enemy who wants to keep you in bondage and keep you in debt to God. Saying, nah, this can't ever be fixed. Or, worse than that, I'll fix it. That's what the enemy wants you to believe in your relationship daily with God, but you cannot. Here's what God wants you to believe. Christ took your rap sheet and nailed it to the cross. 
That means even when I am not willing to forgive. Or even when I kind of do, but not fully. Or even when I stumble in it. That was nailed there too. He took care of everything. And I am completely debt free as a result of his free pardon. Due to nothing more than his compassion. That's the weirdest part, guys. That he loves us so much that he forgives us of stuff in ways that we have offended him. That's, that's the part. I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't always believe it for me. Because I can't even stand myself half the time. I don't even like myself half the time. I think, how can the God of the universe who is perfect even stand me? Let alone have compassion on me enough to send his own son to sit in my place to substitute on that cross. I don't get it. But it's true. It's true. It's real. And this is why I am debt free. And so are you. If you have believed in him by faith. I have to, I have to end it with a Spurgeon quote. You can't, you can't not, you can't finish a sermon without a Spurgeon quote. Okay? Just to let you know. I've got two actually. Think about these. Think about these. Spurgeon said, I owed a debt. I could not pay. But he paid a debt. He did not owe. It's a cute little simple way to say a lot. The second one is, we come to the cross for forgiveness, but we stare at the cross to be forgiving. And that's my point. Sometimes we just need a a, a fresh trip to the cross if we're having a hard time. Having mercy and compassion on somebody who has wronged us yet again. All we got to do is go to that place to look at that thing that we so enjoy that has set us free. I mean, that's the height of hypocrisy, right? For you and I to enjoy that so much and to find so much value in it and then to withhold that and not want to extend it towards others makes no sense for the Christian. So we do not do it perfectly. But praise God, God is our power, our strength, our motivator in wanting to. Right? Lord, thank you once again for hard texts. I know it didn't sound like a Christmas one, and yet, like, it, it is for me. Um, I, th- I thank you for coming to earth for the sole purpose of redeeming, purchasing, paying off the debt of a people where it was an impossibility for them to do it themselves. This is Christmas. I thank you for your forgiveness which allows me to enjoy you every single day. And I pray that you will help me to extend that to others every single day. In your name, amen. Amen.